Ooh. And we're off. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. It is uh, the 28th of September, 2023. I'm here at the, what do you want to call it, Media Center uh, here in the um, uh, MGM Grand, right next to the Garden Arena. We're here, of course, for Canelo and Charlo Fight Week. And uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. Now, you might be asking, why did I set up right behind a wall? Well, it's because everything here is in front of me, and it would work a little more awkwardly in terms of the setup in order to do that. But the stage is to my left. The DAZN guys are over here, Ak and Barak. This is the main opening of everything going on. Also, Othello, if you're watching, make sure everything sounds good. Let me know if it does. It should. So we'll get to whatever you want to get to. Canelo stuff whatever's in the news, combat sports, blah, blah, blah. You guys know how this goes. Now, I'm hoping my computer will last. I've got a hard line of internet plugged into it, so we shall see. But um, yeah, so here's what we can do. You can, for free, you can just subscribe. That would be great. It doesn't cost you anything and totally is helpful. There's a poll right now about if Conor McGregor comes back, will he fight Michael Chandler or not? You can take that. That would be helpful for me as well. You can give a thumbs up on this video. That's helpful. We'll go for, I hope, about an hour for the free questions. Doesn't sound great, but that's expected. I can fix that a little bit in the settings. Hold on. There we go. I'm trying to reduce the background noise. I don't know how well that's going to go, but I'll give it the old college try. Um, also, I know we're at a very different time today, so I know that's going to interrupt schedules. I don't know how many people are going to watch today, but I'll do my best. So without further ado, let's get this party started. Hopefully I can get the audio for you in a place that is good. And uh, yeah, we'll have a good time. All right, let's get this party started, shall we? And we're back. All right. Uh, as you guys know, we have memberships available on the channel. If you want to just support us, that's great. If you don't, I get it too. I'm just glad you're here. Uh, but if you contribute to the $9.99 tier, um, you can ask questions for free. Just tag Othello in the comments and he'll fire them in and we'll get to those closer to the end of the today's podcast yeah all right here we are here we are uh i can't quite touch the camera yeah but there's jermel charlo right there he's talking to the boys from the zone at the moment so fun times fun times all right sound underwater well that fucking sucks doesn't it i don't know what to do about that someone says might gain higher let's see put it a little higher Give me a second, fellas. Give me a second, fellas and ladies. Maybe that's better. Is that a little bit better? Right? A little bit better? A little bit higher? Let me know. Sounds better good enough. All right. Well, hopefully that works. It's the best I can do on the road. I'm doing my best. All right. Let's get to these questions, shall we? Let's punch them up. Here we go. Oops. Let me add that. There we are. Okay. Um, do I have any advice when it comes to training physique to be more symmetrical? This person writes, I've been doing a lot of lightweight, high repetition sets and lots of calisthenics, and I'm noticing my right hand side seems to be more contracted, not as full as my left, despite minimally balancing and maintaining the same movements on both sides. First of all, this is a question that should absolutely go to Dr. Mike Isratel or 
uh, Lane Norton or people who have the requisite kind of experience to get you the information that you're looking for is the first thing I would say. But a lot of people are like, oh, do low reps, high weight or high weight, or excuse me, uh, high reps, low weight as like different ways to sculpt your physique, which is really a 1980s way of looking at it. Um, you just have to provide the correct stimulus to see what you're looking for. You might not be doing enough bilateral exercises. You might not be having the appropriate, uh, are you filming yourself and then seeing the way in which you are working out? See if you're favoring one side more than the other. There could be a lot of factors that are involved there. You would need someone who has direct expertise in these matters. That is, that is definitely not your boy. Definitely not your boy. Let's continue, shall we? All right. Someone's got a question on time management. I, someone says, I appear to be remarkably productive. My guy, it might look that way to some. I'm not. I am hanging on by a thread most days to try and just get stuff out the door. And yeah, there are some productivity hacks that I work on, which is just the number of hours you spend doing a task. I don't have any great management skills that you might otherwise imagine. I wish I did. I wish I did, but I definitely don't. Definitely don't. All right, let's look at this one, shall we? Let's see here. Luke, how big of a risk is it for Bilal, Bilal Muhammad, to have another fight instead of waiting for his clear title shot, given how booked the top welterweights are, except he and Usman and Dana, saying Bilal has a fight locked in would imply that that's the fight, and how do you think that goes? Appreciate your content. Um, very tough-ass fight for either guy in that particular case. You know, um, under other circumstances, we're going back to the Benil Dariush one, where it was like, do you really need to fight Charles Oliveira? Couldn't you wait and then just get a title shot? But the problem is, I don't know how true that really ends up being, to be perfectly honest with you. You might think he's earned a title shot. I might think he's earned a title shot, but it doesn't matter what we think. What matters is what the UFC's plans are. And just because he's been on a pretty good streak does not mean in any way they're going to award him a title shot, in particular with Shavkat Rachmanov fighting Wonderboy. If Shavkat goes in there and shines, he might just jump the queue in any number of different ways. Plus, if Colby wins, there will likely be some kind of a rematch thereafter. It would, Bilal has, if, if there was a mandatory system, he would have gotten mandatory designation by now, but that's not the world we live in. So, like, this idea that he can just wait and get a title shot is extremely presumptuous. And I would, I would submit to you, not wise. Not wise at all. He kind of has to. Which is unfortunate because he shouldn't have to, but shouldn't need to deserve. What do any of these things mean uh, in a world where the promoter has the extraordinary whim and control? So, I think he kind of has to take this fight. Which, to your point, could 100% derail everything he's built. Yeah, it could. It could destroy everything he has worked for up to this point. There's simply no denying it. That is the world in which he lives. He does not appear at the present moment to be the promotional darling, which means he's going to have to do something next level, over the top, or accumulatively great, and then he can't be denied. So beating Gilbert maybe would have gotten him there, but Gilbert was injured. So there's going to be any number of people undermining the effort from that angle. And then on top of it, um, the win streak is good, but it hasn't necessarily like caught the UFC's attention as a attraction that they want to showcase. 
So he probably does have to fight Kamaru. And how that one goes, you know, I think Kamaru's certainly on the downside and Bilal appears to be peaking. That favors him, but Kamaru's a tough fight really for anyone. And I could see Bilal uh, winning, but dude, I mean, if you don't win that one, the whole thing is blown up and I don't see a better alternative. Waiting is not an alternative in this case. He just kind of has to bite the bullet. In terms of how they match up, I think if he can keep it on the feet, that would be interesting. I think if he can keep pace on Kamaru, that's going to be hard to do, but that could be interesting. Um, it would really just require Kamaru to be past it enough where the very best version of him is no longer relevant. And I think, of course, we are past that, but like how far remains somewhat unclear. We'll just have to get a better answer about that. Yeah, tough situation. There really is no good one here for him, unfortunately. He just has to fight really tough guys if it ends up being Kamaru and I uh, hope that the accumulative weight of that is enough. But where he stands today, was it nine fight win streak? It's plenty for me. I don't get to make those decisions. I get this question all the time. Is there a big evolution coming in the future for MMA? You always just have to look at like what they're not doing and to what extent could it be repurposed at scale, right? That's really the big thing. I, I said this, I think, last week. I'll just, I won't go into grand detail. To me, defense seems like it's something that we might see a lot more of. Defensive sensibility, defensive awareness, building a game plan where the foundation is really, the, the, the defense is the root of the game plan, and then the offense is built around that rather than the opposite, the game plan being built around the offense and then defense kind of a sort of a secondary way of thinking about it. I, I think that you might see more of that. Um, yeah, I really believe that that could be a big, a big thing for the future, but it's very, very hard to say with any real certainty, right? But it does seem like defensive sensibility, defensive awareness, defensive priority is growing with some of the better fighters leading the way. I do think that is true. Here we go. Good question. For the sake of potential future matchups with Bud or Benavidez or anyone else, how are you hoping this weekend's fight goes? As in, what would be your best case outcome in terms of the most interesting future matchups it would set up for both fighters? Good question. So here's what I would say to that. Um, I would like Canelo to win because I actually think it would be interesting if Charlo won. Uh, and I, by the way, I think he is a very interesting and capable challenger to Canelo. I'm not one of these guys who's like, oh, Canelo's going to run him over. I mean, I guess that could always happen, but I don't find that likely. I think Jamal is going to prove to be a very interesting and potentially quite difficult test. But the problem is the rematch clause. If Canelo loses, he's just going to reenact the rematch clause and maybe he'll win the second fight, you know, whatever. But what I would really much prefer is to see what's going to happen with Bud Crawford. Because if Canelo wins and he wins convincingly, um, you know, I asked Canelo yesterday right over here, like, like five feet from me, right over here, I asked him, where, where does Bud Crawford fit into all this conversation? And he didn't dismiss it at all. I didn't necessarily say it was the biggest priority, but 
That's what I want to see. I want to see Bud Crawford versus Canelo if Canelo wins this. I also wouldn't mind seeing Bud Crawford versus Jermel Charlo. Remember, there's that video after he has knocked Errol down for the second time, Bud Crawford goes and grabs his crotch and then points at Jermel Charlo and says, you're next. I would love to see that fight. The problem is if Jermel wins, he has to go right back into another fight with Canelo, which puts off things with Bud, and I don't really know what happens in that world. I would like to see that timeline more expedited around the reality of um, Crawford being 36 years old. I think he turned 36 either this week or last, right? So time is of the essence. Time is of the essence for him. That would be my preference. But if Charlo wins, it would be chaotic and interesting and weird in its own way. You're just going to get two of these fights, and that can delay things rather considerably. That would be my only question. All right. Great question. Great question. Pull this one up. I'm glad you asked. Luke, I am wondering if you've seen the footage of Francis's open workout and what are your general opinions and takeaways from it? Obviously, he's not going to turn into a technical pro boxer over uh, overnight, excuse me, but overall feedback on his technique and form. Yeah, it wasn't a strong showcase. Um, didn't expect it to be. Thought, uh, you know, it would be foolish to think you're going to get a great showcase, but it was not a great showcase at all. I mean, listen, we all knew what the point was of this fight. The point of the fight was for Francis to be able to use the leverage he had built up from becoming UFC heavyweight champion and take that and create other financial or interesting career opportunities, especially because every fighter's wage in the UFC is uh, depressed relative to what it could be if there was more open competition for fighter services. So that was what really it was principally about. It was about principally about like, what could Francis do to get a big paycheck? What does that look like? And that's the achievement. From there, everything else from there is not especially interesting to me. I, I mean, I just really don't know what the case would be for Francis winning. And of course, I said that about Sean Strickland fighting Izzy, but it would be like hyper pronounced in this particular case. Now, Francis does have a big punch. If Tyson doesn't take him seriously, anything is possible. And we really need to be cognizant of that. But like, for example, there was one situation where Francis, I think, was throwing a jab to the body and then a right hand up top, something like that. And if you notice, let me pull up so I can see myself. You should, yeah, this was the right hand. There are boxing drills you'll see, even like lowly me has done them, where you stand next to the wall so that your elbow doesn't flare when you go. So that the punch, just the, the elbow, rather than traveling out and over, it just comes this way, straight up, so that the wall is here. Right, so that the punch stays like this. Go back and watch his elbow. His elbow comes way out. Comes way out, which of course slows the punch down. It makes it much more readable. You're already talking about a guy in Tyson Fury who's got great vision, great awareness, great anticipation, great head movement. Just wasn't, he looked quite slow. It just did not look like a very promising uh, situation for Francis, but it was never really supposed to be. Um, the biggest way an MMA fighter can make money in 2023 is to sign up for an ass kicking on boxing's terms. Um, no one has really figured out how to lure a boxer, a top level boxer with a big name into an MMA fight where they feel like 
they have a chance at winning, where the public might feel like they have a chance at winning. Like you're asking, like, what's an unexplored territory? Here's unexplored territory. It would require a mismatch in weight and a few other factors. You would have to find a way to get somebody who's a boxer to fight a much smaller MMA fighter, let a commission allow it, and go from there. Something like that, some kind of permutation like that, where you're have such an advantage in certain ways, such disadvantages, like more on the technical terms, and then the commission would somehow allow this differentiation in weight. That would be your best option. Because anything where it's the same weight, and you're talking about the best, you know, Tyson Fury is not some also-ran. He's arguably the best heavyweight boxer alive. I know he's not fighting Usyk. We've had this debate a million times. But yeah, Francis did not look great. He did not look great. I didn't expect him to look great. I'm not... You know, I know, I know on the internet, the most asshole thing you can do is be like, well, I'm not surprised. Like, no one's ever surprised on the internet. Everyone expects everything every time. I know that. But candidly, in this particular case, as cliche as it might sound, I don't have, what would be your big reason to believe he could win? He's got big power? Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. He absolutely does have big power. Deontay Wilder's got big power. He's got, you know, Deontay Wilder's not a technical marvel. But he's got much cleaner, faster technique. He's a much smaller guy. He's closer to what, like 215, 220. He's been even less than that at times. You know, if Tyson can deal with that, it's just very hard to know what Francis is going to do to make that work. So, yeah, not particularly inspiring. I, I, I keep trying to tell folks this. MMA striking is very different than boxing. Boxing puts a premium on small details that in MMA might not matter as much because people don't have a lot of the same countering ability. Um, mistakes are very consequential in MMA, but they're different kinds of mistakes around different things that don't matter as much in boxing. But in boxing with a much more narrow, defined universe, small details about your balance, small details about the, the trajectory of your punch, small details about the setup, small, very small details that don't have the same valence so to speak in mma they have significant value or i should say importance in in boxing and, and and this is why you see mma fighters go over and box and look like ass because they're not worried about many of the same micro what we would perceive to be micro problems in boxing they're not fucking micro problems they're big problems let me show you guys where i, I just want to take a video here real quick to prove to you i'm not completely out of my mind here let me show you so this is a left-to-right panorama like that. All right, let me show you. Let me show you, as Tuki would say. You can't see shit, huh? Yeah, it's too bright. Let me turn that down. One more time. This is what's around me. You can see all the bright-ass lights. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so I didn't think it was particularly inspiring. But I wasn't, I wasn't, <laughs> I'm not expecting him to go in there and hang with Tyson Fury. I would be very surprised unless Tyson Fury decides to carry him if that was possible. Francis Ngannou's victory will be the paycheck. His victory will be earning this opportunity. His victory will be putting his name out there as someone who was able to accomplish something in the business that no one else could do. And maybe he can sneak away a win or some kind of moral victory by knocking Tyson down. That would be big too. 
but technique for technique, he's so far behind, it's really not even funny. It, you know, oh, they're striking in MMA. Different ranges, different weapons, different issues that you're trying to navigate. They're just very, 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 very different. Very different. Yeah. We continue. Let's see. Mm. Um, there's another question about Tony. I'll, I'll, I'll read this one. Let's see what we got. Look, I'm genuinely worried for Tony Ferguson, not so much on a professional level, but his mental state. His private relationship troubles are well documented now, and I cannot believe the UFC is still giving this guy a fight. I know they are obliged to. Well, I mean, they could let him go. I mean, they don't have to. But I think it is a moral dilemma at this point. Yeah, I don't really know what the great answer is. Um, I don't know what the answer is when someone's had a history of documented mental illness and then they still want to fight. I don't. Um, not all forms of um, mental distress are permanent. Not all of them, I think, have the same relationship. I mean, if you're having any kind of mental distress, taking punches in the head probably is not beneficial, but. Some of the mental issues you can have would be, I think, exacerbated um, worse than other. And I'm trying to point out, if someone had like really bad anxiety, I would not recommend taking a prize fight. But these are fairly treatable, potentially not long-term things. Whereas if someone had schizophrenia, I think it would be a very hyper. And I'm not saying Tony does or does. I'm, I'm, I'm being quite theoretical here. Let's imagine a scenario where somebody had schizophrenia. I would be significantly more concerned about any kind of potential damage they'd be taking than I would for some other kinds of mental distress that somebody could su suffer. And I don't really know what the literature is around what Tony has experienced and what maybe his current state is. Certainly, I share your level of concern. This is where the commission would have to be a relevant entity. The fighter is going to want to fight. The promoter is still clearly going to want to use Tony's name in a fight with Patty. But... I don't know, unless the commission gets in the way, I don't really know what the right answer is either. I don't have the medical expertise. To, I mean, I, I do think it's a worrisome idea, but also what you have to say is, I mean, just think of all the damage Tony has taken. Yes, more damage might not be great. In fact, it could be uniquely bad, but it also could be the case that he's already had all this, like, like the damage is already done. Um, I share your alarm that this is why you need an independent, strong commission to make evaluations about what the fighter and then the promoter are doing collectively and whether or not the government, which is what they are, should be sanctioning that kind of activity. My hope is that there will be some additional level of scrutiny required um, to get him licensed, given his documented history of having mental uh, distress. But if you really feel enough of a certain way about it, then you as a consumer have a choice to make about what kinds of products or events you do or don't want to support. But short of that, I'm not exactly sure what to say. It's a very difficult and unusual situation that is concerning, concerning to put it mildly, um, but not so easy to intervene, not so easy to uh, make bold declarations about what is or isn't appropriate 
given that we don't have, I mean, maybe some of you have medical degrees. I do not. And so I'd be really speaking out of, outside of, you know, my, any level of expertise I have on anything to weigh in on that. So, yeah. Analytical skills. Uh, I'll answer this one. It's an interesting one. Let's do this one. I like it. Luke, do you have any advice on how to improve analytical skills when it comes to watching MMA? I consider myself slightly more knowledgeable than the average MMA fan when it comes to recognizing strategies and techniques used by fighters, but I'm always looking to improve. I'm 24 years old, and I've been consistently watching MMA since 2008. Really? You've been consistently watching MMA since you were nine? Whatever. But within the past year or so, I've been wanting to level up and really grasp a better understanding of the sport as a whole. Um, okay, good question. The very best thing you can do is train. Really, there's no substitute for it. You can complement training. I don't think you can substitute the value of training. So if you're 24 and you can afford it and you think it's an okay decision for your life, and you want to know more about MMA, you should just train. It will be the very fastest way to learn by far. By far. It'll be the very fastest way. So that's the first thing I'd say. If that is not an option, and you're looking for something else, here's what I would recommend. You can always get books that you can read about technique breakdowns around any kind of concept, leg locks, um, back takes, Jujikatami, you name it. There's any number of instructionals online. You can watch any of these. Those are not the same as the value of training, but they do carry value. There is something to be said for them. If you're looking to like actually examine film and try to understand what's happening, my best bet or my best recommendation to give anybody who's watching is when you look at a knockout blow or a leg kick that's landed or a takedown that's worked or whatever, you have to, you have to treat it kind of like an autopsy. Like nothing here happened by accident. Somebody intended to do something and they did. What were the conditions that allowed that to happen? So then you have to back up and begin to piece together an anatomy of offense, an anatomy of defense. And Again, identifying the markers that matter will be much easier if you have a training background or some kind of knowledge and supplementary background. But in either case, if you treat anything that has landed effectively or widely missed or whatever, if you look at that as what are the conditions under which this happened or failed to happen, and then you work backwards from there, you'll begin to piece together all of the relevant things that work. Like when I do tape study and I go through the entire fight, I begin to see these patterns that emerge. Why, why are those particular patterns the one that matters? Right? Well, one, they worked, but okay, but why did they work? Right. Because this guy has a bad habit of putting himself out of position, of leaving his hands low, of biting on feints, of fading back straight, or whatever the case may be. You begin to piece that together. And then when you realize this, oh, right, so let's look at the game plan that they came up with. Here's the game plan, here's why they did it, and here's what worked and what didn't. And then you can begin to see broad strategies and then the tactical particular things they put in motion to make those strategies work, right? So just a punch landed, zoom out, 
Why did that punch land? What, what were the conditions under which that punch landed? Why does that matter? What happened here? And you keep doing this over and over and over again with some training supplementation, with some homework supplementation, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know how far you can get. That will depend on you. But the more you do that, the more everything will begin to make sense over time. Uh, let's see. Someone's asking thoughts on recent whistleblowers corroborating David Grush. Grush, I don't know how to say it, Grush. His report about the crash due to Votech, I have not seen any corroboration. I'm not saying it's not true, but I've paid zero fucking attention to that. <laughs> it's funny. Luke, loved you in the new season of Ahsoka. Do you think we will ever have a star in MMA who will be bigger than Connor? Connor one in, not two. Or has MMA popularity reached its upper bound limit? Well, I didn't think someone as popular as Connor was even possible when I got into MMA. So someone being more popular than Connor, if you can imagine it, it can happen. Whether that will happen in our lifetimes or in five years or next year, that is very difficult to say. But can someone be more popular than Connor? Yes, of course they can. Uh, did you guys see Travis Kelsey, the the uh what does he play for? He's, he's playing. Excuse me. I'm going to push Kansas City. What is he? Tight end? Um, Travis Kelsey's a tight end, right? I think that's right. He's now dating uh, Taylor Swift. Like His level of fucking fame, not just for being like a, one of the best players on that team, which was a Super Bowl winning team and in the NFL, but now he's dating the most popular pop star in the world. Like Just that alone is going to blow him up. Just that alone. So, like, just imagine if something like that could happen to an MMA fighter in the future or, you know, whatever. <coughs> you could imagine that would absolutely heighten their sense of popularity and their ability to attract a wider audience. Now, I tend to think that most MMA fighters hold views so far outside the fucking mainstream that attracting someone with the level of mainstream appeal as Taylor Swift is probably impossible, but one never knows. Good question. Uh, Luke, how did you feel to have Brian throw you under the bus live while interviewing Jermil Charlo? And two, who do you have winning a wire? Thanks for all the content. Uh, first of all, it was fucking hilarious. I was bitter at him in real time, but it was fucking hilarious. And I don't mind it when he does stuff like that. Um, I actually think it makes for more memorable content. As long as he does it in moderation. right? As long as it's in moderation, then I don't mind. So that was fine. Who I think is going to win? I mean, I think probably Canelo, but, you know, the last two performances from Canelo have not been, last three have not been all that inspiring. So picking Canelo, but Charlo is interesting. Charlo has a gigantic left hook. He's got a pretty good jab. He's got a dynamite one-two. It's all basic, but it's powerful. It's effective. He's undisputed in his weight class for a reason. Like, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's legit. Any updates on the gambling story in James Krause? No, I've not heard shit about that. Um, but I can't tell if no news is good news for him or no news is bad news for him. Let's see. Good question. Good question. Let's pull this one up. These are good questions today. For a week where there's not shit going on in MMA and I'm doing this at a weird hour. Luke, what's your opinion on what happened with the Johnny Eblen post-fight incident? It both looked and audibly sounded like he spit 
on Fabian Edwards twice after knocking him out. I feel like that should have been immediately ruled as a DQ, uh, similar to how it was when someone holds a submission too long. Also look forward to the live chats every week. Thank you. Very good. So as a reminder, and I think we all love Michael Bisping, but as a reminder, he did this to Jorge Rivera. I cannot remember if he spat on Jorge Rivera or if he spat on the corner, but he definitely spat on someone. Um, not great. Not, not good. I don't think he would defend that anymore. I'm not defending it. But I am here to say something. There was a guy who wrote for SureDog years ago during the height of SureDog's popularity who was a medical doctor, and he had written about the kinds of brain chemicals that someone experiences under very pronounced moments of stress or euphoria or the mix in between, something like you might get in a prize fight. And they just sort of said that like, the ability to maintain rational, calm behavior in those circumstances is extremely difficult. Obviously, some are going to be able to do it, some are not. But he was trying to be understanding of the situation. I've always said after situations like what happened between Michael Bisping and Jorge Rivera, you don't have to condone the behavior that came from stuff like that. You don't have to say the spitting is good or that I don't care about it. It's something that doesn't matter. That's not really my argument. But my argument is this. You do have to be very careful about being judgmental towards fighters immediately after um, difficult or pronounced victories. This was a title fight, main event, the whole nine yards. You have to be very, very careful about what you judge them for in that moment. So I don't know if Johnny Evelyn afterwards has apologized. I think I saw him say he apologized to Leon Edwards. I don't know if he's apologized to Fabian. By the way, I did go back and review the tape, and it does look like he spat. It's indefensible, right? You should not in any way be allowed to do that. I don't know if the rules allow for disqualification from something like that, but it's unacceptable. I just mean to say um, the better way to judge them is to wait until they come down from this experience and then see what they say. If they double down on it there, well, then there's no defense for them. That's it. But if they're afterwards like, you know what, that was really out of hand. I, I should not have done that. I regret it. I, I'm the kind of guy who's like, Okay. I usually let it, I mean, and their opponent can feel differently too. You're just asking me, I'm talking to fans, media, observers, whoever. Let's see what they say when they come down, not when they're crazy up here. That's it. Um, when you're not on the road, what is your fight night routine? Do you watch in the family room or in the man bunker? Let me explain something to you folks. My family doesn't give a fuck. My wife will watch on occasion some boxing. Very rarely she'll watch MMA. No one in my family cares about MMA. No one. None of my friends watch MMA. Correction. Most of my friends don't watch MMA. Most of my very good friends don't watch it at all. Uh, no. that uh, My MMA watching is entirely a solo endeavor. I have a nice office. I have screens everywhere. I sit down. I open up my computers, I get my, my Twitter feed going, I get my video feed going, I get whatever else I need going to complement my work or whatever else I want to do with that, and I just watch. And that's it. Uh, I watch it in my room. I don't order food. It doesn't, I don't have that relationship with MMA anymore where it's like, it's a party time. Let's get all hype and excited about it. I mean, I can be excited about the fights, but it's not, it's not, it's, I'm not hanging 
shingles on a roof in July in Arizona. That's not what I'm saying. But it's not recreation for me in that way anymore. It's a job. It's a job. It's a great job. I love my job, but it's a job. My family does not participate. It, it, and I can tell you, when I first started watching MMA with friends, this was, I had the opposite experience. I'd have tons of people over. They'd be over every month for this. Everyone was bought in, and then they slowly start to fade and drop off. And then you have kids. They have kids. Your life moves on. Theirs move, moves on. Most people I know who watched MMA back then do not watch MMA anymore. Again, this is anecdotal. It's anecdotal. So it's a solo endeavor. I watch MMA, I'd say 99% of fights total that I watch, I watch alone. You know, I go to these things or whatever, but I watch alone. Yeah. And most people I know who don't travel to shows regularly are just like me. They don't watch it with girlfriends or significant others or friends or whatever. It's a solo endeavor. Yeah. Um, good question. Really good question. Damn, some good questions today. Shit balls. Let me pull this one up. I like this question. Do you have any thoughts on potential weaknesses of Islam that surfaced during his fight with Volk that Charles Oliveira could take advantage of this time around? Uh, great question. I think so. Now, I'd have to go... Part of it is just cleaning up what Charles was doing, like the jumping, spinning, sorry, not jumping, spinning, jumping, switch, kick, jumping, switch, knee, waste of time. He didn't do it in his last fight. Taking away that shit where you get airborne and then you just land in range, I think will help him immensely. So that's sort of one of them. Two, there were particular methods that Islam uses in the clinch to set up some of his throws where there are 50-50, he's got an underhook and then bicep control. He'll throw a knee to bait activity, right? Because if you're, if someone is just planted, their feet's on the ground, their feet are on the ground, their weight is down, they're hard to throw. It's not very easy to throw people like that. You usually have to get them in motion. You got to get them moving. And so he'll knee to the gut. They'll begin to move into him, and then immediately he he goes for a takedown. He tried that against Volk, and it failed because Volk was ready for it. You can definitely clean that up. How they clinch is going to be really important. Because you got to imagine, if Charles is on his back, and I know he got submitted from being on his back, but it was after he got knocked down, right? But if he's on his back because he's electing to go and he's leg entangling, that could be kind of interesting. And if he's on the feet at range, he should be able to do really well there. It's when those in-between spaces where Islam can take him down, can disrupt him, can take his back, things like that, and he doesn't really understand some of the particular setups that Islam uses in that first fight, that can get him, but he tried many of them again in the Volk fight, and Volk had a much better answer for them. Charles can take a lot of that. A lot of that. So partly it's going to be just cleaning up the dumb shit that he did, like the jumping, what you know, nonsense that didn't do anything against the elite guy like that. And the other part is how they lock up and how they intermingle. Um, fixing a lot of the problems there, which will allow him to either disengage, stay on his feet, win them, jump guard if he needs to or wants to, find the back stop scrambles before they get started, you know, disengage to go punch out on the clinch and then go back to range. Like all of those could pay massive dividends in the next fight. I'm still picking Islam to win because I think he just makes really careful decisions. But candidly speaking, I think this next fight is going to be way more competitive, way more competitive. Looking forward to it for that reason. All right, let's see what we got. 
Um, someone says, as someone who knows Tony, I mean, I haven't talked to Tony in a long time. I don't know how much I know him today. Will he have a chip on his shoulder about the reason why he's been given the patty fight? Probably. A lot of fighters have chips on their shoulders every single time. Like, that wouldn't be... If maybe Tony goes in there as like, yeah, you know, I, I actually love this fight or whatever. He has a great attitude about it. It's possible. But let's, let's say he does what you're expecting. And he has a really negative chip on his shoulder attitude. In what way would that be um, out of the bounds or, or uh, abnormal for MMA fighters on fight week? They have a very much of a me versus the world mentality. Either you're with me or you're against me kind of thing. So there's no there's no way he doesn't look at this and think, hey, the UFC's got. Or I'm not saying there's no way. It's likely, <coughs> excuse me, that he'll look at something like this, and then say, wow, I'm being really railroaded here by, <coughs> excuse me, management. I'm being really set up here to fail. You know, this is bullshit. I blah blah blah. That would be very normal for fight week. None of that would be out of bounds. None of that would be unusual. People want to make it out to be like, oh man, not now he's got a grudge. Man, the guy's probably had a. And I, I, he has, he's he expressed it at what? Like the Pettis fight. He expressed it maybe before the Green fight or even the one before. There's been several fights he's kind of had a chip on his shoulder. It's common for MMA fighters. I think it's been common in many cases for Tony. So nothing there would be out of the ordinary. Nothing. All right, I can give you a little bit, but not much. So, it's a good question. I'll give you a little bit. Oh, do I have it with me? Shit, I don't. Can you provide any insight into the technical and logistical challenges that go into the live chat morning combat? As a viewer, it can be easy to be judgmental when things don't go according to plan, but I'm sure there's much more. People have no fucking idea about it. For the live chat, I have my own equipment. For example, I don't know if I can show you or not, a little bit I can. Let's see if you can see this. You see this in the corner of your screen? This is an ATEM switcher. That's mine. I own that. This is a Sony A7, um, Sony uh, A7S3. I believe that's the, uh, the, the nomenclature. My Mac laptop. Um, I have the DJI mics. That's what this is. This is all my equipment. I'm using proprietary software to stream this to you. It's very easy for me to set this up and get going for the most part. There can be sometimes Wi-Fi hurdles, but I've got a hard line running into my computer now, so I don't really have any Wi-Fi problems in that way. Morning combat is very, very different. Very, 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 very different. If push came to shove, we could use some of these things if we plan around it. What happened yesterday is, you guys may not have heard of this. I'll peel back the curtain a little bit. You guys ever seen, if you've ever been in any kind of city with uh, its own, you know, uh, local media, here's local Channel 5 News, and they're out on the scene somewhere, and they're reporting live or whatever. There is someone shooting that with a big camera. In the truck, they might have a satellite, but either way, they're going to have something called a live U unit. Like the word live, the letter U unit. It's this box of the service, and it basically allows you to pump in a signal. You can use Wi-Fi. You can use a lot of other methods to connect. Um, and it allows you to send like a satellite uh, feed of high-level HD content through the LiveU unit. Uh, the LiveU unit malfunctioned on us yesterday, and we didn't have a backup plan after the live, which had never happened before, but it happened yesterday because yesterday was just a bit of a mess. 
So the live view unit didn't work yesterday. There was something wrong with it. The techs are now evaluating it to see what had gone wrong. But that's the problem. The live view is the one you would pump the signal. We wouldn't use any proprietary software on top of it. We actually had people waiting in the CBS studio in Florida for the live view signal to send it to them and then pump it out to your screens. And then all of that got fucked up. So that's a big problem that often happens. Um, there can be other ones that are related to particular places where we're shooting or whatever, but they are trying to use much more sophisticated equipment to get a clearer picture when they can, and that just creates um, hurdles. There's more to the story than that, but yesterday it was that the live view unit malfunctioned. It's now being repaired, and that was just, you know, unforeseen is the best way I can put that. Um, oh, here's a good one. <clears throat> Luke, getting older as a father, I find myself anal uh, analyzing myself, re reflecting on behaviors, emotions more, and striving to be the best version of myself in order to be as good of a father, husband, friend, son, etc., as I can be and also be happy. There are many things I would like to improve and enhance about myself and feel it is every three to six months I have to focus on something new in a world with so many distractions, blah, blah, blah. Since becoming a father and getting older, have you felt a similar need for self-reflection and improvement? And if so, what is the strongest gut feeling that you uh, need to focus on right now to self-improve? Thanks from Scotland. Yeah, great question. I'm not sure if I can tell you everything that's going through my mind, if I can be perfectly honest with you, because I don't know if you want to hear that, but... Um, I mean, I've... I've I'm probably, if I can just be honest with you guys, I'm probably full-blown in the middle of a midlife crisis. Um, I don't know if my midlife crisis is as bad as anybody else's. I'm not going to go out and buy a convertible. I don't, uh, that's not really in my thing. But um, irrespective of MMA, media is changing rapidly, rapidly. And I, I had someone come up to me yesterday who was an MMA fan and like had advice for like the next three to five years. And I was like, dude, I have no fucking idea what to tell you. And I really, really really don't. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I've said to you guys this before. I think journalism as a business angle, I don't know if it's going to go away completely, but it's going to go away big time. It's going to be dramatically scaled back. It already has. I mean, I don't need to tell you that, but it's going to be even worse. The rise of influencer media is going to take over every sport, not just MMA, every sport. Athletes taking the jobs, and it's, again, it's their right. Like, we don't own the jobs, but Athletes having their own podcasts rather than going through people like me like they used to. That's taking away a ton of jobs as well. It's an extremely uncertain time in the business. It, there's simply no guarantees for anything. I really don't have a fucking idea um, what the future of media is going to look like. And, of course, that has caused, I think, some level of anxiety or bare minimum some reflection. If you're asking about, like, personal pathologies, I'm, like, very aware of some of the things that I'm trying not to hand down to my daughter and reflecting on my behavior. The biggest one would be anxiety. I grew up moving all the time. I grew up in a very chaotic household, divorced, court appearances, you know, changing schools all the time, not having many friends in a lot of situations. That got better as time went on. But, you know, uh, and what my shrink has told me is that because my early life was so uncertain that I'm constantly on top of things trying to micromanage everything so that I don't feel that same level of anxiety. I never had control as a kid, so now I'm trying to exert too much control as an adult. I do not want to hand that down, that level of paranoia and neuroses 
to my daughter. So I'm actively trying to work on something like that. But, um, you know, your question is broadly about, let me see one more time. Let me revisit here, if I may. Since becoming a father and getting older, have you also felt a similar need for self-reflection and improvement? And if so, your strongest gut feeling that you need to focus on right now? Yeah. So the first one is like, I gotta figure out what the fuck I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. Um, I don't know if I can do that right this moment, but it's certainly on my mind. And the other component would be, um, I've gotta get my anxiety under control. When I was single, even just married, um, my wife just kind of dealt with it. I just kind of dealt with it. I had a way to make it work. But the worst thing that could happen is for Violetta to inherit the bad things that happened to me and then the cope the stupid coping mechanisms i've come up with giving those to her would be i would consider that a failure as a father i would consider that a dramatic failure as a father as a matter of fact so i'm really 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 trying to work on that I, she's a very happy uh great kid she's doing great um she's the apple of my eye she's you know uh obviously my kid but in you know not in a romantic sense but in the familial sense she's you know the great love of my life in that way, uh, it would be irresponsible of me to hand her my neuroses, to hand her the things that fucked me up. And, and you know, you might have things in your life that fucked you up. You might have people in your life that did you wrong. You might have had much worse circumstances than I did, and they really messed you up as you tried to cope and navigate through it. And I'm sorry if that happened to any of you. I really am. I'm sorry about it. Well, you didn't deserve it. It wasn't fair. You didn't ask for it. It may have just happened to you. But what you also have to realize is as unfair as that was, it'd be unfair on top of that to then take everything you've inherited and just give it to the people around you and especially your children. It is your, it, you didn't ask for it. You didn't want it. You didn't deserve it, but now it's yours and it's only your responsibility to deal with it both for your own personal health and everyone else's health around you, but so that you don't give it to your fucking kids. Um, because, I saw what happens when you give it, when you give it to your kids. My mom gave it to me, and um, and my dad too. And it's a fucking mess. It's a fucking mess. So really, that's what I'm reflecting on is um, fixing myself so that by osmosis, Violetta doesn't pick up on all the dumb shit I've had to deal with. It's not it's not her job to deal with. It's my job to deal with. What you got? So I can't really get into this. Um, I'm not going to put the question on the screen, but you know, people are asking about the future of Showtime boxing. I understand the questions. Um, I'm really not at liberty to talk about it. I can say that. Um, so I won't say much more. I'll just tell you this. If you guys think I know a bunch about the situation, you'd be very wrong. Um, I think, um, yeah, I can't say much more than that. I can't say much more than that. We shall see what happens. I am, uh, I'm confident about this weekend. I'm confident about the rest of the year. It looks like Showtime is making some plans for 2024 as well. So we shall see. I will tell you that... Um, oh, I better be careful with this one too. I, 
it'll be interesting to see what happens with MK as time goes on. Right now, it's full steam ahead. Hopefully forever, it's full steam ahead. Um, but we shall see. I, nothing in this life is guaranteed. Um, I don't know much. Uh, that's it. Yeah, I can't say much more. Because last week you said that people with visible abs are just hungry. In my experience, people with invisible abs are often hungry too. What would you say was the ammunition for the late night voicemail you left BC a couple of days ago? Uh, I left him a farting voicemail. That's a real thing that actually happened. Um, because I woke up at 3 a.m. completely... I don't know if I had a psychotic episode. I don't think that's quite right, but I had a delirious episode. I hadn't slept hardly at all. I was having trouble falling back asleep, and I was just trying to find something funny that would make me laugh so I could relax and go back to sleep. And it worked. It worked. I sent him a fart voicemail, and it worked. What a great question. Let me see if I can show you guys this one. Is it me or have we not seen a Douglas Crosby scorecard since the infamous robbery of Jared Gordon? That's a great question. That's a great question. Is it not? That's a great question. I don't know. I don't I cannot recall seeing one. That doesn't mean he hasn't gotten assignments. He might have gotten assignments on smaller shows. But taking a fight with one promotion on a Friday then flying out and taking another one on a Saturday, totally irresponsible. He's a weird dude. He tried to hit me up years ago and would text me several times a day for many days in a row. I refuse to answer. Everyone in his orbit is also weird. So don't know him personally. Just never had a real great vibe for whatever vibes are worth. And uh, if he hasn't gotten another assignment, I would consider that a win for MMA judging. Okay, good question. Here we go. What do you think the PFL does with the weight classes Bellator has, but the, they at PFL don't? 185, for example, is not a weight class PFL currently has. So they just create a weight class for those Bellator fighters to compete in and use the Bellator roster to fill it out? Or do you think there is a chance they might decide not to sign those weight classes, meaning Bellator? Dude, why the fuck? I mean, I don't know what PFL is going to do in the Ask Jeeves cage. It would seem to me a tragic fucking mistake to sign. Like, if you're buying Bellator, are you buying it for the intellectual property, the the brand value? I, I don't know what the argument for that would be, although potentially there is one that I'm just not aware of. I've said it before. To me, the valuable part would be the roster, most importantly. And then second of all, getting the library to promote any particular fights. Potentially, you could monetize it down the road, blah, blah, blah. The library and the roster is what you're paying for. That's the value, right? Why the fuck would you do that and then not augment all the missing pieces of what your organization lacks? This is what I was talking about previously, right? We, we had a conversation about this. There have been rumors that they want to just keep the organizations separate, which is like, dude, what the fuck is the point of that? What on earth would be the strategy there? Again, there must be some kind of monetization strategy, I don't know. Or, again, some there could be some other kind of 
we can make more money by dividing the products than we can by uniting them. Perhaps I'm unaware of it, but the whole point is if they don't have a 185 roster because they can't fill with anybody who anybody would give a fuck about. Well, now you've got Johnny Evelyn, who there's some dispute about how good he is, but he's obviously very, very good. You get to add that to your roster, and you're just not going to do that. You're just going to keep it separate. Why the fuck would you do that? Why would you do that? The whole point is to come together like Voltron so that the sum is greater than the, the individual parts. That's the whole fucking point. That's the move. Now, I think it also requires them to adjust their strategy a little bit on the PFL side. But, yeah, dude, what the fuck is that? You know, just we're going to buy. I mean, I, maybe, maybe they don't do this. I, I hope that they don't. But a strategy of we're just going to buy an organization that's got a much deeper roster. We literally can't even fill certain divisions. And we're going to just keep them separate. If they go through with that, you just then they're doomed. They're doomed. Now, maybe they try that at first and they realize the error of their ways. I'll, I will go on the record now. If they do that and keep that, they're fucking doomed. They can't, they won't, they'll, they'll, it will all amount to nothing. Did you ever live in DC proper? If so, did you like it? Dude, I've been living in DC proper my, most of my life. I've briefly lived in Oxon Hill, Maryland for just a bit of a time when I moved back from New York City. Briefly lived for a two month sublet in Arlington while the repairs on my house were going on. I've been in, I grew up in DC proper. I lived as a teenager with my dad in DC proper. I have come back as an adult in DC proper. I'm not one of these fucking jamokes who lives in Montgomery County or Arlington. It's like, oh yeah, I'm from DC. No bitch, I'm from DC. Don't forget about it. What else you got here? Question, I don't think so, but we'll see. Do you think there could be a tipping point where the UFC begins distancing themselves from Kadyrov, a.k.a. what happened with Kinahan in boxing? I find it unsettling to see so many Kadyrov-trained fighters being showcased at 294, given some of the heinous things he's done in Chechnya. He was recently, apparently, reportedly poisoned. I don't know what his health status is. Um, the only way the UFC would ever move on this is if the force of law... Uh, or some other kind of corporate scandal that really risked engulfing the company forced their hand. But if their hand isn't forced, then they're just not going to do it. It's really a simple. Why, why would they? The fan base largely doesn't care. The sponsors don't seem to care. ESPN doesn't seem to care. Disney doesn't seem to care. Who cares? I mean, yeah, I mean, people who care about like, doing business with, you know, these horrible people uh, might care. But again, even then, the situation is a little bit weird where you can't tell how much these guys actually like Kadir and how much they're working with him because they don't want their families to go missing. It's very, very difficult and very weird. Um, I don't understand how there haven't been more sanctions in the industry yet. Um, I know they've been, various issues have been reported, not by me, but have been reported to U.S. Treasury um yeah i i am surprised nothing has ever happened but until the u.s treasury department or some other kind of legally enforcing government agency gets involved or this or espn cares or all their sponsors pull out or whatever they're not going to do shit about it like 
they're not going to do shit about it. In part because I think, you know, there's two things happening here. One, the UFC is trying to present themselves as like uncancelable. Like, oh, nothing can cancel us. We're immune to cancel culture uh, pressures, however real you perceive those to be. But the other one is like, it's just a business decision. Dude, you get a lot of good fighters who are attached to Kadyrov. Again, how much do they agree with Kadyrov? How much are they doing this to protect themselves? Very hard to say. But how many of those have a relationship? Like, dude, Hamza Chimaev, like, you're just going to hand him over to a competitor? Magomed Ankalaev, you're just going to hand him over to a competitor? Like, you know, that would be from a business decision. That would be not a great business decision. So until something forces them, this is just where we're at. This is just what it looks like. This is this is the beginning and the end of it. Yeah. There is no there is no different place to go to here. You know, it doesn't exist. Although I gotta say, you know what's kind of funny? You guys seen this controversy with Bryce uh, Mitchell bringing his Bible? And Dana White's like, you know, we don't, you know us, we don't muzzle people here. And it's like, well, they can't, they can't carry their flags. And I know what folks might say, well, they're not all the same. That's true. But now we're getting into a position where it's like, okay, well, what forms of speech are protected from the corporate stance and which forms aren't? And so wearing the flag of your country is no longer a protected form of speech because it is, the Supreme Court has ruled quite explicitly it, um, um, as a legal matter, it's a protected form of speech, but um, it is it is just that. It is a form of speech. And more to the point, I just want to make a, like, a thing. It's like, oh, we don't tell people what to say here. It's like, guys, you should know something. Like, you, UFC employees that, like, have a public-facing role, they are, and they've told me this to my face a number of times, they are terrified of saying anything that might rankle Dana or whatever. And, of course, you know, everyone who works for a corporate entity would be um, somewhat uh, careful about the things that they might say about the people employing them. That part is true. But even on things that are relatively mundane, they will go and not even touch it um, for fear of potential backlash. I can't tell you much about the Showtime boxing situation in part because I just don't People think I might know a lot. I don't really know. I don't have much to tell you, to be perfectly honest. I don't know, frankly, anything. I don't. It's not my place to say. And I think as whatever is going to happen unfolds, but I don't really know much. Um, but I don't. You know, I've been criticizing Stephen Espinosa for a long time. Uh, you know, in various ways, he has granted me leeway to do that in the future. Um, It, it's just weird for an organization to be like, hey, this is the free speech, no cancel zone. And I think if the fighters were really talking about the state of the monopoly in the industry, and if some of their employees were like, this fight booking makes no sense, you know, there's, I know that there would be like consequences for that, even on mundane things, not, not like major things, but even on mundane things. It's like, you can't be the free speech org if that's the case. You gotta, you gotta pick. Either here or there. All right. Um, I know this is at a weird time. We didn't generate the kind of audience that we normally did. I appreciate everyone who's here. I'll go to any of the paid questions that are. And again, if you already are of the, the top tier member and you want to just tag Othello, we'll get to those questions at the end too. Let's see what you got. Shouts to uh, Please No Baus. Baus. Thank you for coming a member. Same to UZM. 
Brendan writes, how funny is Dana thinking unique is synonymous with new? Maybe he misspoke when he was saying that like, oh, we had these unique viewers. Uh, unique doesn't mean that's the first time they're there. It just means you can individually pinpoint um, that as a, you know, uh, uh, single entity's IP address or however they're measuring in that particular way. It doesn't mean like these people have never been here before. It could have been there a million times before, but as long as you're one of one, they will count you. You are unique in that sense. So I don't know exactly what he meant, but that was weird. Thank you to Greg Shu. Thank you to Hunter of Artemis, whatever that fucking name means. Who's the bigger liar, Chatri or Dana? See, here's the thing. People think it's one's bigger than the other. Anybody who's in the promotional business is a liar by definition. You can't do the job without doing a little obfuscation. So maybe you could say Dana only in the sense that like he's just been doing it longer, but like, you know, whether it's Dana or, you know, uh, Chachri or Bob Arum or whoever, um, you can't do that job just being perfectly truthful. It's not really possible. So I don't really fault him for that. The question is just, you don't have an obligation to honor any of that, you, you know, but you do have to be wise enough to expect it, right? Thank you to Dalton Jackson. I appreciate that, bro. That's very nice of you. Let's go down a little bit here. All right. Two Chains asks, uh, Annie Letterman and Brendan Schaub are on the same Skankfest panel this weekend in Vegas. going to be a fun fight week in Vegas. Um, first time hearing about it. I hope it's a fun panel. Uh, thank you to Matt. Appreciate it. All right. So please know Bao says, you mentioned that Canelo is arguably the greatest Mexican boxer of all time. If he cleanly beats Charlo, has he compared the likes of Chavez, Lopez, Marquez, and the like? He's a four. This wouldn't change his fortunes in terms of how many weight classes he's won a title in because he's already the champion in this one. And Chavez has significantly more uh, wins. So I think it's debatable, but I don't think anyone has, including Canelo, I don't think there's a consensus around what he's done. I don't think this really gets us meaningfully closer to answering that question in this particular bout. It's a challenging bout. It's a tough bout. It's more about the questions he can answer about what has gone wrong recently than it is about adding to the overall. I mean, yes, he's beating a guy who's undisputed at 154, but um, it's not the biggest fish. Like beating David Benavidez to me would be the biggest fish. Or beating, um, if you could go back and beat Bivol or something like that. Would you rather take a body shot from every ranked UFC straw weight or go to Sunday church with VC and Bryce Mitchell? I'll go to church. I'll just fall asleep. No, I, I've been to church a million times. It's not that big a deal. I would go to church. That's a very generous donation, so thank you. I've always been inspired by how much you've struck through all the BS over the years to fulfill your career goals. I'm going to tour next month with Locksmith, which is my first opportunity like this in over 20 years of making rap music. Well, I wish you nothing but uh, a great time. I wish you, I hope it's everything you hoped and then some. Work hard, stay focused, don't get too fucked up. Do your job and enjoy yourself, bro. I hope it's, I hope it's fantastic. Good for you. Uh, what's your go-to in Mortal Kombat? I am a Raiden guy. I love Raiden. I love Raiden and uh, Kung Lao. But Raiden, Raiden's my guy. I'm a Raiden guy. Did you watch, you watch the NHL? I got one can of Oilers to win the cup. I watch the Caps. I don't watch the NHL. I just watch the Caps. Applejack, thank you, my friend. Appreciate you. Super sticker. Thank you, Dave. I don't know how to say your last name. There we go. Uh, Super Dave Fairtech says, I have a question for me. 
or Lug. I'm a longtime MMA fan. Can he tell me on why I should buy Canelo versus Charlo? Good question. First of all, Canelo, I do think, is one of the most exciting fighters in boxing, even if he has if he has declined. Um, because this fight, to me, feels like it could be a crossroads fight in either direction. If Charlo upsets Canelo in the way that could be possible, it would be a monster. Not the biggest upset in boxing, but Charlo has been... You saw him on stage. He was like, you're not even rocking with me. And, you know, we made... That was when BC threw me under the bus, which was fine. He's always had a chip on his shoulder. We're talking about Tony having a chip. Dude, the Charlos, they're the kings of chips on their shoulder. I mean, they've always had one. Dude, you go and you beat Canelo on Saturday in Las Vegas. Like, all of the acclaim he's been looking for, at least a big chunk of it, he's going to receive. That is huge. It will upset the apple cart. And then what happens to the future of Canelo? You'll get the rematch. But if Charlo wins that one... You know, we are dealing with a very different boxing landscape after that. You know, it's a really weird scenario. So BC is rooting for maximum chaos. Um, if Canelo wins, it potentially sets up, obviously, the fight with Bud Crawford. But you're asking, like, on a fight basis, Charlo doesn't have the most amazing defense. Is a big power puncher, and his only real way to win is by standing and trading with Canelo. That's really it. He's going to get Canelo to open and then trade with him. I would be very surprised if this is not an action-packed fight. I'd be very surprised. Charlo, if you go back and you look at the second Harrison fight, if you look at the second Castaño fight, he has a hard time when guys show up and they're working from here, he has a hard time getting them to open. They just kind of roll with it and catch it because he's got something of a basic kind of setup. I don't mean like simple, like there's nothing to it, but it's not super sophisticated with his setups. But when guys open up and then he trades with them, that's when they sit down. He's got one of the best left hooks in the business. You've seen it over and over again. He's got a powerful right hand. Ask Erickson Lubin about it. You already know what time it is with Canelo. There's no way it's not an action fight. There's no way. Uh, by the way, shout out to BC for mentioning the MMAI channel. I checked out that channel. It's quality. Yes, it is. Shout out to MMAI. Thank you, Chris Joyce. I appreciate it. Oh, there, Dan Evans. Jorge Rivera and his team were racist against and historically marginalized and oppressed people of the English race. They deserve to be showered by God. I mean, if you want to defend spitting, you can. It's not something I am going to wade into, but you can do that if you want. Thank you, Adrian. I appreciate it. Dave, you don't have to leave this if you're already a member, but thank you. <laughs> Sorry, too late. Too late. Too late. Uh, Fuzz, thank you, Fuzz. I appreciate it. All right, Zachary asks, do you think the Shavkat matchup for Wonderboy is more winnable than if he had gotten the Usman fight? Yes. Yes. But uh, in many ways, he's opened up to be hit, and in many ways, he's very, very... Um, more winnable, more dangerous. A bit of a, bit of a weird trade there. Yeah, favorite MK character. He said Hanzo. Something about an undead hell specter trying to murder toast you. No, I'm a I'm a Raiden guy. I like Raiden. Back to the Indian dude. Also, sort of the black film one has been noticing that people want journalists to confirm their bias. Yes, of course they do. People have curated worldviews that feed back to them what they want to hear, and everyone does it, including you and me. Uh, and it's pretty bad for us. Uh, so listen, what you said is meant for someone, it was me. My mom ruined me, and I see I'm down the same path to my girls as a dad. This is my sign. Yeah, dude. You can't do it. 
can't do it. You cannot hand over. It's okay to give your kids gifts. The gift of the pathologies that fucked you up is not okay. And especially if you're aware of it. Most most people aren't even aware of it. You know, I just think that's who that's my personality. That's who I am. No, it's not. You're fucked up. It's jack shit about your personality. You're fucked up. I wish you good luck. What upcoming UFC pay-per-view do you think does the most buys? 294 looks like it might do a lot, but it's got the daytime thing, so that will hurt it. 295, obviously, is going to have John Jones. That's big. 296, I don't think will do as well. So I'd see either 294, 295, maybe 295 by virtue of John Jones being the biggest star, and also 294 being in the afternoon, but those two are probably going to be the biggest. I'd say 95, 94, 96. Johnny Cage, based on jo Oh, yeah, I didn't realize that. That's interesting. Let's see this. A merger has led me to working for a company I find morally reprehensible. It's taking a toll on me. Should I try to tough it out? No. No one else seems to care, which is making me feel weak and insane. No, it will eat, it will eat at you. Unless you can just learn to not care, it will, it will make it impossible. It will make it impossible. Uh, I am now suddenly the guardian to my seven-year-old niece. I know there is an age difference, but how do you spend time with your daughter? What fun things does she enjoy that I could do to make my niece? Seven is a little bit different than four, candidly. Um, dude, I read to her. We do puzzles. I take her to the playground. We go on bike rides. I read to her. Um, on occasion, we'll watch movies together. Like, I let her paint my face. I let her do my nails. Like... You know, I just kind of sort of see where she's going. I try to lead a little bit. We try to play puzzles and games and chalk. If you're ever confused, you can take them to play with other kids, other neighbors, whatever. Um, yeah, just give them toys, see what they like, join in, and build the relationships they're in. It's, it, people make it out to be more complicated than it is. It, it seems complicated if you've never done it, but get her some age-appropriate puzzles. Get her some age-appropriate dolls or toys, whatever they want Take them to the water park. Take them to the places they like to eat. And just join them and figure it out. You, you'll be okay. I, I promise. Thank you to Brendan. I appreciate it. Thank you to Dustin. I appreciate it. What are the odds Gaethje actually gets a shot? If Leon and Islam win, the next fight is champ, champ, chance for Islam or a rematch with Volk. If Volk is going to fight <coughs> Toporia then Justin gets a shot. Otherwise, they might run that back. But I would like to see Volk to Foria. That's the most real test of Volk in a long time. Do you think it would be worth the effort for Izzy to work on introducing the threat of a takedown into his game? I don't know. It's a bit late for all of that now. If he could do it without disrupting everything else that makes him great, sure. Um, I don't know. Oh, here's an interesting question. Eblin told Ariel he did not spit. It looks like he does on camera. If he said he didn't, even better. But again, I'm going to go back to it. Whether he did or he didn't, I'm not saying it's great. What I am saying is you got to wait and see what's up with them later. Yeah? you got to wait and talk to them later when their brain has dealt with it all. So, um, yeah. All right, so I think that is it for today. I appreciate it. Apologize for that. We'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming next week. Thank you guys for tuning in. I will get the podcast up and all that good stuff. Thank you to Ant. Thank you to, oh, wait, do I have the, 
Do we have the thing? Oh, here we go. When Conor McGregor returns, does he fight Chandler? Forums. Oh, 56% said no. That is awesome. Oh, that is fucking awesome. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. I bet he probably doesn't. Holy shit, balls. Holy shit, balls. And that Mark Hunt lawsuit just cleared the way. Amazing. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in on this odd time. I know it was crazy. Back to regularly scheduled programming tomorrow. I appreciate it. We're out of here. And until next time, as Jerry Springer once said, take care of yourself and each other. Stay frosty. More content coming your way this week. Love you guys. I'm out. Peace.